Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Catholic Light. I wholeheartedly apologize for the sound quality last week. I did not realize while I was recording that um, there was a cord in my recording equipment that had gone bad, and uh, so I recorded as per usual, and then I went to edit the episode late Sunday night and realized, oh shoot, so it was a little too late to re-record. So hopefully uh, we have this rectified for this week, and you're hearing, listening to this episode uh, with good sound quality, so thanks for persevering. through last week and returning, joining me for another episode this week. And thank you to Dan Doherty, who has dubbed himself my CTO, uh, Chief Technology Officer, um, for fixing that and getting us back up and running. Dan periodically jokes that he's going to add that to his resume, um, you know, CTO of Catholic Light. And if asked by a prospective employer, you know, what that is, it's an opportunity to evangelize. Oh, you haven't heard of Catholic Light, you should totally check out this podcast about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So thank you, Dan, for um, taking care of all of the technology. On today's episode, the second half of today's episode, we'll continue reading um, the section dealing with baptism. So we're in part two, section two of the catechism, where we go through each of the seven sacraments. By the end of today's episode, we will actually finish reading the section on baptism, and then next week move on to confirmation. So we'll talk today about, um, there's a handful of paragraphs in today's reading selection that talk about the necessity of baptism, okay, how one must be baptized to enter into heaven. So as you can imagine, or as you might be wondering yourself, um, I, over the years, many students would ask, you know, is that really necessary? Is baptism really necessary? Um, you know, what about X, Y, Z? They would give all these these different scenarios. Well, fortunately for us, the catechism addresses a number of those scenarios specifically. But we'll talk first just in general about uh, the necessity of baptism and um, this question that my students would often ask, and again, you might be wondering yourself and many people, whether it's family members, friends, um, colleagues, uh, might ask as well. So oftentimes my students would ask, can't I just be a good person to get into heaven? And um, they would often you know, raise the question in terms of, their personal lives. So for many of my students who had been in Catholic education since they were little, um, some of their families practiced, some did not. And so for those who did not practice, it was, it was difficult for them because, you know, they would come into theology class, I would be teaching them one thing, but then their parents would be practicing something a little different or maybe very different at home. And so, um, it provided an opportunity for, for good discussion and for them to start to figure out like okay, what do, I've been raised in this, but what do I actually believe and what will I practice in my own life? What will I carry on with? What will I set aside? I also liked how um, oftentimes over the years when students wanted to ask a question but didn't want me or their fellow classmates to know that it was they they were talking about, he or she they were talking about. Um, There's a better way of grammatically saying that. the, the student would start with, Miss Pine or Mrs. Doherty, I have a friend who dot, 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 
So um, especially when we would get into the morality issues, you know, I have a friend who's been dating his girlfriend for, and we just celebrated, I mean, they just celebrated their anniversary or, you know, I have a friend who smokes pot not every day, but a couple days a week, you know, do you think I, I mean, do you think my friend will, you know, dot, dot, dot. So the questions that they would ask, um, I think are questions we all ask, um, not just in our teenage years, but throughout life. And so they're good to, to address and to think about and to try to, um, you know, suss out. So in response to their question, can I just be a good person to get into heaven? I would uh, do two things. First, I would say, let's define what does it mean to be a quote unquote good person. And then secondly, um, given that definition, we would discuss why, why do you think God calls us to be good people or calls me to be a good person? So first, define good person. Um, because especially my students, but I think many of us had been raised in this politically correct culture. Um, kind of subconsciously they equated being a good person with being all-inclusive, which as Christians we're called to include everyone. Everyone is called to to a life with, with God, but in a way that didn't ruffle feathers. So like, uh, I believe this, you believe this. It's all good. We're both right. <laughs> but when, when you drill down into the specific beliefs and circumstances, um, you know, you a believer in Jesus Christ and uh, an atheist can't both be right. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk about the principle of non-contradiction. Something can't be both true and untrue at the same time. Something is true and therefore, you know, opinions or beliefs that disagree with that truth would then be wrong. But in today's culture, to say that someone or something is wrong is kind of shocking and um, off-putting. And our culture often says that that's mean to say or like you shouldn't say that or if you're a good person you don't disagree or you don't call out you know something that you think is is wrong or erroneous so first we would we would go through what does it mean to be a good person um it's not just accepting everything as right and good because not all things are good not all decisions are good not all beliefs are good um and we should call out those differences or suss out those differences with kindness and compassion and respect. Um, sometimes the way we do that might be a little bold or a little off-putting initially. Um, so we are called to be kind and charitable, patient, um, respectful, virtuous in our discussion, our dialogue with others. Um, but sometimes the, the virtuous way might call for some boldness or some strength that um, – is not always consistent with how our, our modern day culture operates. So I would give the examples of Jesus himself. You know, he he goes before the Pharisees who are imposing these teachings on their fellow Jews, but then not living them themselves. And what does Jesus do? He says, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. Okay, he essentially comes into a crowd and says, you people whose lives look very nice and pretty on the outside um, are actually corrupt and filled with dead men's bones, as scripture says, on the inside. We think, um, or we can think of Jesus going into the temple where commerce is taking place, basically in... Um, I think at the time it was not only like the vestibule of a church. So when he goes into the synagogue, um, it would be like going into a church today where people are not just selling like Girl Scout cookies or, you know, roses for 
a pro-life weekend in the vestibule, but going before the very altar of the Lord where people are like, you know what, let's just put aside the Eucharist for a moment. And, you know, for 1999, you too could have this, this, and this. So he, what does Jesus go in, uh, do? He goes in and he starts flipping tables. You know, this is God's house. This is not a place of commerce. Um, there is a time and a place for that, and this is not that time and place. So Jesus is bold. Um, he speaks boldly. He acts boldly. We then, if you look back in church history, um, see that a number of, of the saints whom we revere today were also bold in a way that um, today's culture would be like, ooh, that's mean, or like, that's um, not Christian, um, that's not kind or compassionate. I think of, and I might have mentioned this um, on a previous episode of St. Nicholas, um, you know, cute little Santa Claus whom we have today with his, uh, his little elves on the shelf. Um, he's often portrayed as like this, you know, cute, jolly guy. Um, But but the real St. Nicholas of Myra um, at the Council of Nicaea stood before Arius, who promoted the Arian heresy that Jesus Christ was not God, but a creation of God the Father. And as Arius, who had spread this heresy far and wide, um, persevered in proclaiming his heresy at this council, St. Nicholas, so frustrated at one point, Um, punched Arius in the face. So I would like to put up around the Feast of St. Nicholas, December 6th, on my PowerPoint presentations for my students, this meme that had, um, it was actually an icon of St. Nicholas, and at the top it said, uh, I came to give presents and punch heretics, and I'm fresh out of presents. So uh, from the outside looking in, or even as a a Christian, a Catholic, hearing that story, you might think like, ooh, that doesn't sound very Christian. Um, But he was was fed up with this this lie that was um, pulling people away from the truth. And his interlocutor, so Arius, this guy with whom he he was at first discussing and then disagreeing and debating and ultimately punching, um, just would not listen, persisted in his error. And so St. Nicholas decked him. Um, So when my students would ask, you know, do I really need baptism to get into heaven or do I really need to follow like all the commandments to get into heaven? Can I just be a good person? I would respond, yes, but what does it mean to be a good person? Um, Because it's not what we might always think or what culture tells us, our culture tells us is a good person. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologica says that uh, goodness is what we all desire and a thing is desirable only insofar as it is perfect. Why? Because we all desire our own perfection. Goodness, he says, is our perfection. So to be good is to strive after our own perfection, um, to desire that which perfects us or makes us what God made us to be. Recall the first paragraph of the Catechism, which I love going back to. Um, It says, God infinitely perfect and blessed or happy in himself in a plan of sheer goodness freely created man to make him share in his own blessed or happy life. So God, who's infinitely perfect, so there is nothing lacking or that needs to be perfected in God, and blessed in himself, so he is happy, um, the members of the Trinity enjoy perfect beatitude, blessedness, happiness in themselves, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely create man to allow us to share in that own happy life. So to be a good person is to share in God's own blessed life or his own happy life. And how do we do that? How does God live 
a blessed or happy life. God is three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving and receiving love. So that life of blessedness, that life of happiness, is a life of self-gift. So Father pours out himself on the Son, Son receives the Father, gives that love back to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit we call the love between Father and Son, this giving and receiving, giving and receiving of love. And so to share in God's own blessed life, his own happy life, we too are called to and made to uh, make a gift of ourselves and to receive others, to become a communion of persons like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving and receiving love. So, you know, there's like like all sins um, are all lackings of virtues. Um, there's there's maybe like a hit of happiness or a hit of joy, which is ult- ultimately not real happiness or real joy, when we're selfish. So we're, we're gratified for a moment. But it's when we give of ourselves um, that we experience that deep and lasting joy and happiness for which we were made. So if to be a good person means to give of ourselves and receive others, to participate in God's own blessed or happy life so that we too are blessed or happy. Um, What does that look like in my day-to-day life? How does that play out? Well, that's what we've been talking about. That's what the catechism elucidates paragraph after paragraph, what we've been uh, unpacking episode by episode. And so it takes a lifetime to fully understand what it means to be a good person and to strive after being a good person. But um, we can do it by the grace of God, step by step, Uh, truth by truth, and begin to live that blessedness, that happiness now. So when my students asked, you know, can I just be a good person? I would think of of that character from The Princess Bride who, you know, kept saying things were inconceivable, inconceivable. And then there was another character who would say, um, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Okay, so to be a good person, I I would think, I don't think that word exactly means or that phrase means exactly what you think it means. Um, to be good is to to actually give of ourselves, so to give, not to take, and uh, to receive the other um, as a gift. And so to give of ourselves and receive the other, um, sometimes practically speaking in the day-to-day, that might mean speaking out against the culture. It might mean um, ending friendships that don't participate in God's own blessed life. So I had a student ask one time, you know, I have this friend, but, you know, whatever, he's doing X, Y, and Z, and I don't think that's good for me. Is it bad if I'm not friends with him anymore? I said, no. Um, you know, that's that's could be good for you and good for him to ultimately learn that, that his behaviors are not leading him closer to God, closer to who he's meant to be. Um, and so actually in breaking off that friendship, um, you're helping him and you're helping yourself. So that's very countercultural, and especially for my students where the idea – that they were often raised with is, you know, embrace everyone, love everyone, be friends with everyone. Um, That's actually not being a good person, okay, if we stand by and let a friend engage in destructive decisions or even let those decisions, you know, become a part of our lives. It might mean um, doing things that are, you know, as we've talked about before, mundane, boring, not very exciting, and yield fruits uh, later in life or, Maybe even, you know, don't, don't yield fruit or we don't see the fruit of those decisions this side of heaven. Secondly, then, I would invite the students to discuss why would God call us to be good people? Why does God call me to be a good person? 
The answer is, first, love. God loves us. So as the Catechism, uh, paragraph one says, in a plan of sheer goodness, um, God is good, and he wants to share that goodness with us. It's, it's pure gift. It is completely gratuitous. God did not have to create us, did not have to invite us into a life with him, um, but he does because he's good, and he wants to share that goodness with us. He loves us, and he wants us to be happy as he is happy. In addition to loving us, or as part of loving us, he wants us to achieve our end, our goal. So all things, all creatures, all people are made with a goal, an end, a purpose. And so very simply, a key is made to unlock a lock. A clock is made to tell time. A sandwich is made to be eaten. So each of these things have goals, ends, purposes. What is the goal of being human? It is to be happy, to share in that own blessedness, that own happy life that God enjoys in himself. And how do we achieve that? We achieve that by being in communion with the source. So he who is life, love, goodness, truth, beauty, joy, happiness itself, when our lives are joined to his and uh, joined to others as we imitate that, that giving and receiving of love, then we achieve our end, our goal, our purpose of happiness. Okay, the one thing that everybody wants, no matter if we're Christian, Catholic, Jewish, Hindu, atheist, Buddhist, agnostic, um, it's the one thing we all want because it's the thing for which we were made. Um, Therein lies our, our perfection and our purpose. So if we seek our end, our fulfillment, our purpose, our goal in other things, it, it's not going to work. Okay, so if we if we use a key to try to drive a nail into a piece of wood. It's, it's not going to work. A hammer is created to do that, and a key is made to do something else. If we um, you know, use a clock to try to start our car, it's not going to work because it was not made for that. If I use my humanity um, in a way or for things other than which it was made, I'm not going to achieve the end, the goal, the purpose of happiness. It, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And so God gives us the manual. He maps it out for us so that we can achieve the goal, the end, um, the joy, the happiness for which we were created. When my students asked, can I get into heaven if I'm simply a good person, oftentimes they were asking, uh, can I just live my life in a way that kind of sidelines God and then still go to heaven? Basically, can I, can I do things apart from God? Can I live my life the way I would like to more comfortably or um, more excitingly or more whateverly live it? and then still go to heaven? And the answer is, sure, yeah, kind of. Um, God loves us, and he will use any little thing to try to bring us into communion with him to to help us achieve our end, our goal. Um, But also, you can't have heaven without God. So if you don't really like God or spending time with him, why would you want to go to heaven? Okay, remember that eternity extends both ways on the timeline. So it starts now. It's not just we die and then begin, begin heaven or then begin, you know, this, this communion with this relationship with God. It, it starts now. Also, why wouldn't you want to start living heaven now? Why wouldn't you want to start experiencing glimpses of that communion, that blessedness, that joy? We might equate it to um, like having a money tree in our backyard where, you know, you, it's a little annoying. You have to go out. You have to garden. You have to prune. Um, but... You can then pick money off that tree anytime you want. Um, It might be like having, um, 
you know, a river of, let's say, Josh Cabernet Sauvignon flowing through your backyard. I don't know. Maybe somebody on this podcast likes drinking red wine. And yeah, you have to like keep the, um, you know, the river clear of debris and maybe after a storm fish some things out of there. But but that means, you know, you can go get a little glass of wine anytime you want. Um, it's there for the taking, for your for your enjoyment. These things require a little work. They're kind of annoying at times, but it makes for a happy, enjoyable, enjoyable, ultimately easier life. So why not access those things now? Why not uh, start taking care of the the money tree now, and then picking the money off the tree and and using it to you know buy things or um, do things that you would like to do? Why not take care of that riverbank or take care of the the wine in the river of, of Cabernet Sauvignon, so that you can start drinking of that river now. These analogies might be a little bit of a reach, but the, the point of the exercise is to say that we have an opportunity right now to start living that, that blessed life with God and in communion with others. Um, we don't have to wait until heaven. We don't have to you know, just kind of muddle along, be a, a good person, um, and then whew, make it into heaven. We, we, can inst- we can start enjoying that, that heavenly life right now. So by regularly receiving the Eucharist, God's own body and blood, soul and divinity, we are coming into communion with God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, right now. We can go to confession right now and whew, get that weight of the world off our shoulders, be healed, purified, forgiven, and live a more free and happy life. We can daily actually every minute of the day, um, pray, converse with God, the almighty God of the universe who created the heavens, the earth, me, you, all of it, um, as though he's, you know, our bud, just right there, ready to chat. And so again, why wait until we die? Um, Why not start living that relationship, enjoying that relationship now? But Becca, I thought this episode was about baptism, not receiving the Eucharist or going to confession or praying or even money trees and Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, right you are. Uh, Paragraph 1257 says that baptism is necessary for salvation. So in order to be saved, we must be baptized. And this is where, or teachings like this is where my students would say like, can I just be a good person? Do I really need to get baptized? Um, And the catechism follows up on that right away. So paragraphs right after 1257, in paragraphs 1258 through 1261, um, the catechism goes through a number of circumstances where one, we believe, is saved even without baptism. So let's say someone is martyred for Jesus Christ or the faith and did not receive baptism. He or she is, as the catechism says, baptized by the blood of martyrdom. Let's say someone has a desire for baptism, but is for some reason held back from receiving it. Um, That person, we could say, is considered baptized by the desire for baptism. Uh, Catechumens, those who are preparing for baptism, let's say something happens before the actual baptism. We believe that, that God views that person as having been baptized, because, or it's like he or she were baptized because they desired it, they were on the path to receiving it, but then something got in the way. The Catechism also talks about children who die without the opportunity to receive baptism. They're so little and dependent on adults. Um, so if, if an adult is not baptizing him or her, then 
it's that that child has no no control over being baptized. The catechism also talks about those who are ignorant of the gospel, those who have never heard of Jesus Christ or the Catholic Church or the sacrament of baptism. They are not held accountable in the same way as those who have heard. So the catechism goes through through some different scenarios where one uh, we believe is is saved, experiences salvation despite not having been baptized. The catechism says God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism. So God has said it's necessary for us to be baptized in order to be saved, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. It's a really cool line. He himself is not bound by his sacraments. So God has has set up uh, the path to salvation for us in a very clear, simple, approachable way. But He's God. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants. And so he sees all the circumstances, all the scenarios, and in loving us and wanting each and every one of us to come to him, um, he, he doesn't have to follow the path that he has laid out for us. So he, he can get us to himself by another way. So my students will look at some of these scenarios and say, like, see, there's kind of like a loophole or, you know, see, I don't have to be, someone doesn't have to be baptized to get into heaven. And that's true. But if we think of eternity extending both ways on the timeline, uh, heaven starts now, has the, has the ability to start now, and baptism opens us up to that heaven now. So recall from last week, paragraph 1213 said that baptism is the gateway to life in the spirit. So baptism opens us up to the wellspring of holiness, this end of sin and a new beginning of goodness, to liberation, to the promised land or our eternal inheritance. So why not start that now? Why not access that now and enjoy that now um, from now until till eternity? My students would also say, yeah, but I have a friend who's an atheist and he seems to be pretty happy. Or, you know, I have a family member, a friend who is Catholic, but not really practicing. And, you know, he or she is a really good person, really honest, really kind, really giving. And again, seems to, to live a happy life. Um, so will God allow us to enjoy the good things of life? And can we enter heaven without baptism or without the Eucharist, without confession? Yes. Yeah, again, God loves us infinitely. He loves us more than we love each other and even love ourselves. Um, and so he's going to use any means possible to, to draw us close to himself and to help us achieve the end of our humanity, that blessed life or that happiness. But he invites us to start living that good life now. Okay, here's what's good, and here's why you want to start living it now. Um, this is also why we evangelize. So oftentimes evangelization or, or teaching, promoting, passing on the Catholic faith is seen as, viewed as like forcing my opinion or, um, you know, shoving my beliefs down your throat. But the idea and hopefully the reality for each of us is that th this stuff is so good that we want to share it with everyone um, so that one day a friend, a family member, a neighbor doesn't turn to us and say, like, why didn't you tell me about this? I didn't know I had a money tree in my backyard, or I didn't know I had a, a river of delicious red wine or a river of Chick-fil-A chocolate peppermint milkshakes in my backyard, or, you know, I could get a Grande Starbucks Pike's Place with half and half any day that I wanted for free. Becca, your, your examples are, are so specific. 
they seem to be a little autobiographical there. Um, so we, we don't want someone to, to come to us later in life and say like, why didn't you share this with me? I could have been enjoying this good life too. You, you had the truth and, and you didn't share it with me. So we share these truths with others, not because we're trying to force our beliefs or, um, you know, make someone live a different type of life, but we're offering this gift that has been offered to us because God wants it for all of us and wants us to start enjoying it now. So um, let's pray for the grace to live the good life now and pray for the grace and opportunity to share that with others in a way that's accessible, in a way that's that's not intimidating or off-putting, um, but serves as an invitation um, for all of us to to start living that happy life now. And so we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this sheer gift of goodness, of creating each and every one of us, uh, all of creation, and inviting us to live in communion with you and communion with each other, and to share in your own happiness, your own blessed life. Please help us to um, take advantage of the sacraments, the things you have placed before us to live that happy life, and give us the grace to share it with others so that all may come to know you, all come to love you, and all come to be in communion with you from now until forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll now take a brief break, and then on the second side of the episode, we'll wrap up our reading of the Sacrament of Baptism in Part 2, Section 2 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Thanks for sticking with me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 1246 through 1284 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Who can receive baptism? Every person not yet baptized, and only such a person is able to be baptized. The baptism of adults. Since the beginning of the church, adult baptism is the common practice where the proclamation of the gospel is still new. The catechumenate, or preparation for baptism, therefore occupies an important place. This initiation into Christian faith and life should dispose the catechumen to receive the gifts of God in baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. The catechumenate, or formation of catechumens, aims at bringing their conversion and faith to maturity, in response to the divine initiative and in union with an ecclesial community. The catechumenate is to be a formation in the whole Christian life, during which the disciples will be joined to Christ their teacher. The catechumen should be properly initiated into the mystery of salvation and the practice of the evangelical virtues, and they should be introduced into the life of faith, liturgy, and charity of the people of God by successive sacred rites. Catechumens are already joined to the church. They are already of the household of Christ and are quite frequently already living a life of faith, hope, and charity. With love and solicitude, Mother Church already embraces them as her own. The Baptism of Infants Born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have need of the new birth and baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God, to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless gift of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. 
Christian parents will recognize that this practice also accords with their role as nurturers of the life that God has entrusted to them. The practice of infant baptism is an immemorial tradition of the church. There's explicit testimony to this practice from the second century on, and it is quite possible that from the beginning of the apostolic preaching, when whole households received baptism, infants may also have been baptized. Faith and baptism. Baptism is the sacrament of faith, but faith needs the community of believers. It is only within the faith of the church that each of the faithful can believe. The faith required for baptism is not a perfect and mature faith, but a beginning that is called to develop. The catechumen or the godparent is asked, what do you ask of God's church? The response is faith. For all the baptized, children or adults, faith must, must grow after baptism. For this reason, the church celebrates each year at the Easter Vigil the renewal of baptismal promises. Preparation for baptism leads only to the threshold of new life. Baptism is the source of that new life in Christ from which the entire Christian life springs forth. For the grace of baptism to unfold, the parents' help is important. So too is the role of the Godfather and Godmother, who must be firm believers, able and ready to help the newly baptized, child or adult, on the road of Christian life. Their task is a truly ecclesial function. The whole ecclesial community bears some responsibility for the development and safeguarding of the grace given at baptism. Who can baptize? The ordinary ministers of baptism are the bishop and priest, and in the Latin church, also the deacon. In case of necessity, anyone, even a non-baptized person with the required intention, can baptize by using the Trinitarian baptismal formula. The intention required is to will to do what the church does when she baptizes. The church finds the reason for this possibility in the universal saving will of God and the necessity of baptism for salvation. The necessity of baptism. The Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations and to baptize them. Baptism is necessary for, for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for the sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. This is why she takes care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord to see that all who can be baptized are reborn of water and the Spirit. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. The church has always held the firm conviction that those who suffer death for the sake of the faith without having received baptism are baptized by their death for and with Christ. This baptism of blood, like the desire for baptism, brings about the fruits of baptism without being a sacrament. For catechumens who die before their baptism, their explicit desire to receive it, together with repentance for their sins and charity, assures them the salvation that they were not able to receive through the sacrament. Since Christ died for all, and since all men are in fact called to one and the same destiny, which is divine, we must hold that the Holy Spirit offers to all the possibility of being made partakers, in a way known to God, of the Paschal Mystery. Every man who is ignorant of the gospel of Christ and of his church, but seeks the truth and does the will of God in accordance with his understanding of it, can be saved. It may be supposed that such persons would have desired baptism explicitly if they had known its necessity. As regards children who have died without baptism, the church can only entrust them to the mercy of God, as she does in her funeral rites for them. Indeed, the great mercy of God, who desires that all men should be saved, 
and Jesus's tenderness toward children, which caused him to say, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, allow us to hope that there is a way of salvation for children who have died without baptism. All the more urgent is the church's call not to prevent little children coming to Christ through the gift of holy baptism. The grace of baptism. The different effects of baptism are signified by the perceptible elements of the sacramental rite. Immersion in water symbolizes not only death and purification, but also regeneration and renewal. Thus, the two principal effects are purification from sins and new birth in the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of sins. By baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. In those who have been reborn, nothing remains that would impede their entry into the kingdom of God, neither Adam's sin nor personal sin, nor the consequences of sin, the gravest of which is separation from God. Yet certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, such as suffering, illness, death, and such frailties inherent in life as weaknesses of character and so on, as well as an inclination to sin that tradition calls concupiscence, or metaphorically, the tinder for sin. Since concupiscence is left for us to wrestle with, it cannot harm those who do not consent, but manfully resist it by the grace of Jesus Christ. Indeed, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. A New Creature Baptism not only purifies from all sins, but also makes the neophyte a new creature, an adopted son of God, who has become a partaker of the divine nature, member of Christ and co-heir with him, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Most Holy Trinity gives the baptized sanctifying grace, the grace of justification, enabling them to believe in God, to hope in him, and to love him through the theological virtues giving them the power to live and act under the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, allowing them to grow in goodness through the moral virtues. Thus, the whole organism of the Christian's supernatural life has its roots in baptism. Incorporated into the church, the body of Christ. Baptism makes us members of the body of Christ. Therefore, we are members one of another. Baptism incorporates us into the church. From the baptismal fonts is born the one people of God of the new covenant, which transcends all the natural or human limits of nations, cultures, races, and sexes. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The baptized have become living stones to be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. By baptism they share in the priesthood of Christ in his prophetic and royal mission. They are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Baptism gives a share in the common priesthood of all believers. Having become a member of the church, the person baptized belongs no longer to himself, but to him who died and rose for us. From now on, he is called to be subject to others, to serve them in communion of the church, and to obey and submit to the church's leaders, holding them in respect and affection. Just as baptism is the source of responsibilities and duties, the baptized person also enjoys rights within the church to receive the sacraments, to be nourished with the word of God, and to be sustained by the other spiritual helps of the church. Reborn as sons of God, the baptized must profess before men the faith they have received from God through the church and participate in the apostolic and missionary activity of the people of God. The Sacramental Bond of the Unity of Christians 
Baptism constitutes the foundation of communion among all Christians, including those who are not yet in full communion with the Catholic Church. For men who believe in Christ and have been properly baptized are put in some, though imperfect, communion with the Catholic Church. Justified by faith in baptism, they are incorporated into Christ. They therefore have a right to be called Christians and with good reason are accepted as brothers by the children of the Catholic Church. Baptism therefore constitutes the sacramental bond of unity existing among all who through it are reborn. An indelible spiritual mark. Incorporated into Christ by baptism, the person baptized is configured to Christ. Baptism seals the Christian with the indelible spiritual mark or character of his belonging to Christ. No sin can erase this mark, even if sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. Given once for all, baptism cannot be repeated. Incorporated into the church by baptism, the faithful have received the sacramental character that consecrates them for Christian religious worship. The baptismal seal enables and commits Christians to serve God by a vital participation in the holy liturgy of the church and to exercise their baptismal priesthood by the witness of holy lives and practical charity. The Holy Spirit has marked us with the seal of the Lord for the day of redemption. Baptism, indeed, is the seal of eternal life. The faithful Christian who has kept the seal until the end, remaining faithful to the demands of his baptism, will be able to depart this life marked with the sign of faith, with his baptismal faith in expectation of the blessed vision of God, the consummation of faith, and in the hope of resurrection. In brief, Christian initiation is accomplished by three sacraments together— Baptism, which is the beginning of new life, confirmation, which is its strengthening, and the Eucharist, which nourishes the disciple with Christ's body and blood for his transformation in Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptism is birth into the new life in Christ. In accordance with the Lord's will, it is necessary for salvation, as is the church herself, which we enter by baptism. The essential rite of baptism consists in immersing the candidate in water or pouring water on his head while pronouncing the invocation of the Most Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fruit of baptism or baptismal grace is a rich reality that includes forgiveness of original sin and all personal sins, birth into the new life by which man becomes an adoptive son of the Father, a member of Christ, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. By this very fact, the person baptized is incorporated into the church the body of Christ, and made a sharer in the priesthood of Christ. Baptism imprints on the soul an indelible spiritual sign, the character, which consecrates the baptized person for Christian worship. Because of the character, baptism cannot be repeated. Those who die for the faith, those who are catechumens, and all those who, without knowing of the church but acting under the inspiration of grace, seek God sincerely and strive to fulfill his will, can be saved even if they have not been baptized. Since the earliest times, baptism has been administered to children, for it is a grace and a gift of God that does not presuppose any human merit. Children are baptized in the faith of the church. Entry into Christian life gives access to true freedom. With respect to children who have died without baptism, the liturgy of the church invites us to trust in God's mercy and to pray for their salvation. In case of necessity, any person can baptize provided that he have the intention of doing that which the church does, and provided that he pours water on the candidate's head while saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
This brings us to the end of our reading selection and the end of our episode for the week. Thanks for joining me. Between this week and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And know that I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.